I had to break away from my traditional Thanksgiving sermons. You know, we have sermons that sometimes we could recycle, we could pull out one here and there and the other and say, this is my seasonal bunch, Uh, that's my traditional bunch. And I've been looking through the sermons that I've preached on Thanksgiving for many years. And the Lord said, you ought to be able to give me thanks for something new. And while we were down in Tullahoma, Tennessee, we had a chance to go down and spend Thanksgiving uh, with a wonderful family that invited us. And while I was sitting in the hotel in a small town where there was nothing to do, (laughs) where there was absolutely nothing to do or eat, we had an early Thanksgiving meal that ended about 1 o'clock or 1.30, and I fasted from 1.30 to bedtime. I didn't do it willingly. It wasn't a plan. But I guess I'm all the more healthy for it, because some of you are probably still digesting your Thanksgiving meal. But don't digest it during my sermon. It's been six weeks, and the Lord has given me something to be thankful for. So bow your heads with me as we go before the Lord and open his word. And after I pray, I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to ask God to guide us. Gracious Father in heaven, we are told to give thanks with a grateful heart. Not thanks because you owe us, but thanks because you must. But because your grace and your compassion has been extended to us in ways that we could never fathom, and when the glimpse of your glory is ever revealed to us, help us not to forget to give you thanks and to be thankful. And I pray that as this message goes forth, you will find that fertile heart and plant the seeds there to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Billy Graham said that Thanksgiving should be one of the most distinctive marks in the life of a believer. He says our lives, when we think of what God has done for us, our lives should be a continuous symphony of praise and thanks to God. When we think of where we've come from, when we think of where we are headed, But for the grace of God, as the writer once said, there goes I. But this morning we can thank God that we are still here today among the land of the living, looking forward to the coming of Jesus, being able to present new souls to the kingdom for the glory of God. And so today we're going to look at a man that many of you have never heard of before, William Arthur Ward. We're going to focus on this man's life in the context of how he meant so much to so many. But we're going to begin by reading the writings of the Apostle Paul and reiterating how thanksgiving should be the most distinctive mark of those who believe in Jesus. What should we thank him for? The list is endless. When you pause to think about what God has done in your life, it should be a symphony of praise and thanksgiving. As the songwriter said, praise God from whom all 
blessings flow. In the book of Philippians, we find these words, and you can read them with me if you desire, but if you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Another Bible translation, I believe it's the NIV or one of the other translations, simplify that text by saying, and the peace of God that does not need to be explained will guard your heart. Be anxious for nothing. We live in an anxious world today. The news keeps us anxious. The traffic in the cities keep us anxious. We know what that's like having been in California for five weeks. We said if there's no other reason that we enjoy Southern Illinois is we consider a traffic jam somebody taking 30 seconds to make a turn. But in California, when you have to take three minutes just to get out of the parking lot because the traffic is so backed up, we said, I'll be so thankful when we get back to southern Illinois. But as you go through the, the chapters of your life, it does us well to pause maybe every now and then, maybe once a week, whatever the time frame may be. It does us well to pause and say, God, I want to thank you for all that you have done for me. And every one of us at one juncture or another, whether we claim to be a Christian or whether we are just still alive, we can thank God that we are still among the land of the living. When I was preparing for the message, you know, Oliver, my wife says, honey, what is the Lord giving you for the Sabbath? And with the busy, busy schedule that Thanksgiving brings to us, you know, when, when 3ABN closes early and then you have all these holidays and you say, well, I don't want to spend my holiday doing a sermon, the Lord says, that's your plan. But my plan is to sequester you someplace in Tennessee where there's nothing to do so you could get a sermon. And there I sat on Thursday evening. And I said, honey, the Lord has given me a message today. Simple, two words. What are behind me? What are those two words? Be thankful. Be thankful. William Arthur Ward was and is one of the most well-known American motivational writers. You may have heard about him before, or chances are you have not. He wrote more than 100 articles, poems, and meditations in publications and magazines like the Reader's Digest. He's so well-known, he's one of the most frequently quoted writers. There's a magazine entitled, Quote, it's an international magazine on quotations that encourage and strengthen us. William Arthur Ward is one of the most quoted men in contemporary times. And I'm going to share with you today four things that he's well known for. We're going to look at three in, in, in preparation for gratitude and thanksgiving. But just to give you an idea of how he saw life, he was one invited to speak to companies, Fortune 500 companies, invited to speak to churches and colleges and universities. And when people were caught into a rut, 
William Arthur Ward was often reached out to. We are caught in a rut. We can't get beyond this distraction. And he was invited to encourage people. And about challenges, he said the following words. He talked about challenges, and listen to what he said. He says, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. But the realist adjusts the sails. What he said is we can't control the wind, but we can control our sails. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond or react to it. And so when you think about the winds that have blown in your lives, sometimes it can lead us to complain. Or sometimes we can say it's going to change sooner or later. But in the midst of the blowing winds of life, William Arthur Ward says, if you are realistic about life, God will say to you, adjust your sails. Now, I'm smart enough to know that wind, if you have sails, the wind will blow you in the direction that you angle your sails. When the winds of life come our way, we should ask God, what direction of our lives are you seeking to lead us in? Because we cannot control the winds, but we can control our sails. And I thought to myself, I've been at this place where, in a pessimistic way, why are the winds coming our way? What do we do about it? How do we hold on before it, until it passes? But he is in essence saying, don't ask for the winds to pass. Use the winds to your advantage and adjust your sails. There's a young lady by the name of Kendra Cherry. And she's a psychologist, uh, author, rehabilitation specialist, and educator. And she wrote an article called The Positive Benefits of Thinking, the benefits of thinking positively for the mind and the body. And just before I read to you what she wrote about the benefits, she said these words. Listen carefully. She says, you have probably had someone tell you to look on the bright side or to see the cup half full. Chances are good that the people who make these comments are positive thinkers. There's some people that I appreciate. They can find good times in the worst of situations. You can be on the hospital bed, and they can say, but God is going to bring you through. You can be facing a trial in your life, and they're going to say, but even the worst storms end. Positive thinkers. And she's saying, as she goes on, she says, researchers are finding more and more evidence pointing to the many benefits of optimism and positive thinking. And realistically, you only have two options, think negatively or positively. As a Christian, knowing that God is in charge of your life, if the Lord allows something to come your way, you've got to ask yourself the question, Lord, why did you allow it? And what can I become as a result of it? Put the positive spin on why God may allow a trial to come your way. But she says one of the benefits of Thinking positively, she says, it relieves stress. Say that with me. It does what? It relieves stress. I mean, how many times have you stressed yourself out trying to work your way through a set of circumstances that you have absolutely no control over changing? But she says, when you think positively, as I've said, even the worst storm has to end. The most cloudy day will one day give way to a sunny, sun-filled sky. But she says, when you think positively, it relieves stress. 
And the wise man Solomon said it best when he said in Proverbs 17, 22, notice the words, a merry heart does good like a what? Like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. There's some people that are dry boned. There's some people that on a beautiful sunny day can't find any reason to be thankful. But if your life is in the hand of the Lord and you're looking at the positive side, there's always a reason to be thankful. Because a merry heart does good like a medicine. Ellen White once said, there are many diseases that people suffer from that are wholly related to the attitude of the mind. One doctor talked about, as he analyzed the reasons that people get sick, he says one of those have nothing to do with being infected, but some children are raised by their parents that have told them many times, if you go outside in the cold, you're going to get sick. And they've grown up all their lives thinking that illness is the result of cold weather, when in fact it's the result of the condition of the mind. When we have a positive spirit, it relieves stress. It gives our heart medicine, and our bones are no longer dried up. She also pointed out another thing that positive thinking does. She says it increases immunity. It increases what? What that means is it holds back the weakening of your, of your immune system. And as I was going through a stress in my life, I was trying to figure out on the internet, looking for what to relieve stress. And I read in a medical magazine, the doctor says that when you face a stressful situation and it's exacerbated by heartache and difficulty and you, you continue grinding it and working it and stressing about it and focusing on it. He says, your immune system shuts down for 24 hours. And that's why you get sick because your defenses drop. Your white blood cells begin to increase because they are preparing themselves for an onset of one infection or the other. Why? Because you're stressing yourself out. But when you think positively, he says, we experience something like endorphins. It's like eating a piece of candy that makes you happy or a good piece of cake. Come on, say amen, somebody. You know, people look at cake and they could taste it before they eat it. What in essence he is saying is you need to look at your situations of life and taste the good side of it before you partake of it. And then you will increase your immunity. And the Bible concurs with that. The wise man once again says in Proverbs 16, verse 24, notice what he says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. What is he saying? I like to be around positive people. I mean, I don't like, I can't always avoid negative folk, but sometimes you come to church on Sabbath morning and you make the mistake of asking somebody, how was your week? And they, and they unleash a soliloquy of all the bad things that happen. Instead of saying, I've been through a lot, but I'm still here. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, dripping with the sweet presence of God. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And so if you want to have a life that you can have less stress and increased immunity... It has a lot to do with the people that you hang around with. She also points out the third thing. She says it improves resilience. 
It improves resilience. What does that mean? That means you may be in a terrible, horrible situation, but you're, but you're counting the time. You, you know that it's not going to be permanent. You may say, this is difficult. I've never faced this before. But as the songwriter says, this too shall pass. In the Bible, you find many times, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Like the young lady who was in the pastor's study complaining about how difficult her life had been, and she said, Pastor, I'm going through it. And he said, going through what? She began to explain all the things she's going through. And he said, keep on going through. Don't stop. <laughs> right? Even the darkest tunnel has a bright side to it. Whatever you're going through, keep going through it. In other words, it improves resilience. We say to ourselves, this too shall pass. It is not here to stay. Even the worst of moments have a time stamp connected to it. That's why the Apostle Paul says these words, a resilient passage. I'd like you to read this with me. It's a beautiful one because each one of us at one point or another can identify with what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Notice these words. Are you ready? Let's read it together. We are what? Hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We are down, but not down for the count. We are down sometimes, but not for the count. Look at the negative side, hard press. Look at the resilience, yet not crushed. Look at the negative side, perplexed. Look at the resilience, but not in despair. Look at the circumstances, persecuted, but what? Not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And Bernie Siegel says, embrace each challenge in life as an opportunity for self-transformation. You see, because what we go through is not as important as what we become as a result of that. Think about it. When the Lord says, buy of me gold tried in the fire, he's in essence saying, to get to the point of purified gold, you've got, got to go through the furnaces of life. And the furnaces of life are appointed by God. God doesn't say avoid the furnace. He says, if you want to be pure gold, I'm going to put you through the test. We were in California the other day, and, uh, and there was a young lady who said, you know what I've been praying for? I've been praying for patience. And my wife and I almost said together, now, what did you just ask for? <laughs> be careful what you ask for, because if you ask for patience, God is going to send you a whole lot of impatient folk. They're going to bring out in you patience. Let patience have its perfect work. That's what he said about challenges. But William Arthur Ward also said something about blessing. And let's look at this. The second thing he says, it's about blessing. These words stuck with me. As a matter of fact, I got so excited, I downloaded all 47 of his sayings and added them to my library, and I said to my wife, I'm going I'm to start printing these out, put them in small frames, so when the day gets tough, maybe give gifts to these, gift of these to somebody so they could begin to focus in a different direction. What he says about blessing is very, very telling. Here's what he said. He said, today is a most unusual day because we have never lived it before. We will never live it again. It is the only day we have. Is that true? Today is a most unusual day. And you know what? There are many people that had yesterday, but they don't have today. Praise God, we have today. 
Today is the most unusual day. We have never had it before. We will never live it again. Today is the most unusual day. As one writer says, I think one songwriter said, what a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. What a difference. But this is downside to that because many people are going to have all the days that they wasted in the latest stages of their lives to be piled up as a witness against them. As one person once said, I've heard people that said, I need more time, I need more days. And the keeper of time repeated to them, what have you done to all the days you've had to this point? That's why as I enter each new year and challenge myself to learn something new, I come to the realization that it's how we handle our days that makes the difference. What we do with our time. Because the wealthy man and the poor man both get 24 hours in a day. The successful person and the slouch both have 24 hours in a day. The person that succeeds much and the person that wears the couch out has 24 hours in a day. What we do with that determines. So when tomorrow comes, say, today is a most unusual day. I have never lived it before. I will never live it again. It is the only day I have. And as one person said, live each day as if it's your last. Because one day you'll be right. The blessing of a day. How important is a day? Let me take you back to something that just happened recently. On November 22nd, my heart dropped when my wife and I stood there in the living room as the news was interrupted by the following statement, at least five people killed after an SUV plows through a holiday parade in Wisconsin. Think about it. You've heard about it. How do you make sense out of that kind of incident? How do you wrap your head around that and even say to somebody, well, you know, God can work through any situation. It is in moments like that that I don't even insinuate that God had anything to do with that. People left their homes that day intending to enjoy an innocent Christmas parade, and little did they know, all age groups, little did they know that when they left their house that day, it was the last day they will ever live. Five people killed was the headline. Five people killed as SUV plows through a Christmas parade in Washika, Wisconsin. And the news got even worse when they said there's one more casualty. The sixth casualty is an eight-year-old boy. And I thought to myself, how do you make sense out of such a tragedy? So is each day valuable? Yes, it is. Every day that we get should be lived to the fullest because it may be, in the case of some, the very last opportunity to make their decision for eternity. When I was standing by the bedside of a person, which I've done many times, been at the bedside of people who were slipping off into eternity, about to close their eyes, I've never heard people at their closing moments of life say, I wish I had more money, or I wish I had a bigger house, or I wish I had a nicer car. You know, most of them say, I wish I had one more day. I wish I had another day. Whether atheist or Christian, everybody wants another day. So why should we apply ourselves in such intensity to another day? 
Well, once again, let's listen to the words of the wise man Solomon inspired by the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 12, here's what he says to us. For man also does not know his time. We don't know, as our good friend Richard O'Phil, who's resting in the Lord now, Richard O'Phil, some of you know who he is. He was a hilarious man, a very God-centered man, but he was funny, and one day he took out his driver's license, and he said, uh, I know my expiration date. And I said, what do you mean your expiration? He said, it's 2,000, uh, I can't read the last two letters. <laughs> can't read the last two numbers. When he closed his eyes and rest, only then did his wife know what the last two digits in his year was. Each one of us has an expiration date, but we just don't know what that day is. So if you only had one more day left, if you got a text or an email or a phone call, and on the other end of the line, God said, you've got one more day left, what would you do? Solomon says, for man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly on them. Thanksgiving parade, Christmas parade, then gunshots in the Atlanta airport, people running in every direction thinking that it's an intentional uh, a shooter. Totally coincidental. Praise the Lord, nobody got injured. But every day is a day that God wants us to look at it and ask for the Lord to give us guidance and wisdom. David the psalmist told us in Psalms 90 and verse 12. Matter of fact, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But James the apostle wrote these words in James 4 and verse 14. He says, whereas you do not know, what will happen tomorrow? Do we know what will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then what happens to it? It vanishes away. We have no idea. That's why when we wake up in the morning, when we get on a plane, before the plane takes off, everybody's buckled in their seats. My wife and I always, if there's a seat between us or if we're close together, I grab her hand, she grabs my hand, and we pray, said, Lord, we don't know the pilot, never met him. We don't know what kind of day he had, but Father, take us to our destination safely. That's a lot of faith, to put your life in the hand of someone you've never met. That's why I put my life in the hand of someone I know personally. Lord, take us. We say, pray for the passenger, the pilot, the pathway. Give us a safe journey. Lead us in the direction that we need to go. That's why it's a travesty for people to ask for more days when they don't take advantage of the ones that they have right now. I was reading a story. I like to read different books. And one person said, you know, it's sad that God brings to many of us ideas and opportunities to do something different. And then they pointed out that one of the most wealthy places in the world is the cemetery. And I wondered what they meant by that. They said, in the cemetery, there are graves that contain the life of someone who had an idea but never moved to make it an invention. He said, there are many dreams that have been buried in the cemetery because God brought to them a spark of inspiration and they never moved to take that to the next level. 
One of the wealthiest places is a cemetery where God had given people opportunities to be saved and yet they chose not to make that decision and yet they're waiting for the second resurrection. What a place and position to be in. God is saying, teach us to number our days. And Muhammad Ali, and everybody knows who that is, he said, don't count the days. Make the days count. You know what children do when they have a vacation coming? They put X's. When we lost one of our dear young ladies that was working at 3ABN, Christina, we went into her office there at 3ABN, and we noticed on the calendar she had all these X's, all the days that were behind her. And it's amazing how the last few X's were just before the weekend that she lost her life. There were no X's in the next week because she didn't make it to that day. A sad, sad, sad story. Don't count the days. Make the days count. The third thing William Arthur Ward said was about success. About success. Can I ask a question? Can I get a response? How many of you want to be successful? Can you say amen? I don't know of anybody that wants to be a failure. Because failure is always an orphan, but success has many mothers. When you're doing something that's right, everybody wants to identify with you. But when you're failing, nobody wants to own up to the fact that they even know who you are. Failure is always an orphan, but success has many mothers. William Arthur Ward said these words. And some of you young folk, or maybe all of us, we could learn from what he said he said these words. He says, study while others are sleeping. Work while others are loafing. An old-fashioned word meaning idling. Prepare while others are playing and dream while others are wishing. A lot of people say, I wish, I wish. If you have the sense and the opportunity to make a difference in your life, don't sit around wishing. Do all that you can to make a difference in the opportunities in the days that God presents before us. As Bill Gates said, it's fine to celebrate success, but it's more important to heed the lessons of failure. Sometimes we fail, as Benjamin Franklin said, he said, I never failed. Everything I did that didn't work, I just called it an experiment. I never failed. It was just an experiment. But the Apostle Paul says, that the Lord, when we put our lives in his hands, and I say this to the, to, to, to the newly baptized, when we put our lives in the hand of the Lord, repeat this with me, and you all know it very well. Philippians 4.13, together church, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. How many things? All things. Whatever God puts before you, your attitude and approach towards it determines the outcome, whether negative or positive, whether failure or success, whether defeat or victory. Every one of us has an opportunity. If you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, then why are we not doing more than we have done to this point? Because everybody has the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. And my wife has heard me say this a ton of times. I've told this to couples and told this to people many, many times. And this is my own saying, the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. Every place else, work comes before success. 
But now to the heart of the message is what William Arthur Ward says about gratitude, about gratitude. Listen to these words that have inspired thousands. He says, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. That's why today, we're going to look at four examples in Scripture about how vitally important it is to not just say, I feel grateful, but express your gratitude towards God. Feelings can do nothing. They can change with the wind. They can change with the weather. But if you feel gratitude, the Scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. And when you look at the picture of Revelation, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the angels are singing before the Lord, the 24 elders saying, you are worthy. They're giving God thanks and praise 24 hours a day. If we feel a sense of gratitude towards God, don't just embrace the feeling, but express it. Don't allow your gratitude to be just an expression, but allow it to be a gift extended to the God who continues to bless us. So let's look at one of the most valuable nuggets in the Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at one of the most valuable, and I say one of the most valuable because we're going to start by looking at Jesus. The lessons we can learn about gratitude, we're going to look at one of the first ones. One of the first examples of gratitude is in the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 15. Let's look at that together. And the setting is the 4,000 that have no food. The disciples not seeing any possibility of this multitude being relieved of their hunger. And Jesus is in the situation, and the disciples are asking him, where could we get food to satisfy the hunger of the thousands gathered before us today? We pick up the story in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 15. And the Bible says, Then his disciples said to, him, said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? Let me pause by saying, it doesn't matter whether it's a wilderness or a city. When you're with Jesus, there's always an option. They, they, they cited the wilderness. They were trying to emphasize to Christ there's no way that we can find anything in the wilderness. If you have Jesus, even in the wilderness of your life, Jesus can make a way. Verse 34, Jesus said unto them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. Verse 35, so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and did, what did he do, friends? And gave thanks. Broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave it to who? To the multitude. And verse 37. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. In the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets. In the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven baskets. Two separate incidences, not to be confused with the other. But what I want you to notice is Jesus gave thanks 
before there was enough. Grab this now. Many of us wait until we have enough to give God thanks. But Jesus thanked God before he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Grab that. So what's the lesson here? If we thank God before the blessing comes, we have the assurance that the blessing is on the way. But so many of us say, well, you know, my check didn't come in. My health is not doing well. I can't do this or that. We're waiting for the answer to prayer before we begin to thank God. But Jesus thanked God before the provision was made. What's the lesson? Thank God before the blessing comes. Thank him before the blessing. Like a parent saying, you have 11 months left before Christmas. And I promise to get you what you asked me for, but it's 11 months away. Thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Daddy. But you got 11 months to wait. God knows when the season will be that he will deliver and provide the blessing to the prayer that you have prayed. Does he not know? So when you pray, follow that prayer with thanksgiving, and the heart will be at peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart while you're in the waiting. Jesus prayed. Now, Why should we thank him before the blessing comes? Here's the reason why. Philippians 4.19, here is the reason why. And my God shall supply how much? All your need according to what? His riches and glory. Can we say amen? Has God provided your needs? Has God continued to provide your need? God does it in amazing ways. We were on an American Airlines flight, and this is a funny story. A few months ago, we were going to New York City to perform a funeral and a wedding. We just finished doing Danielle and Michael's wedding, which we remember here, right down the road, right on our campground. And uh, <laughs> Mike said, amen. And when we left our home, it was pouring rain on New Lake Road. Now, that's just about 1.2 miles away from the spot where the wedding was supposed to be. And, and we were being pelted with rain. I mean, it was coming down in sheets right down the street. So when I arrived at the wedding site, right there on the ground, right next to our lake, the chairs were set up beautifully. Everything looked like a beautiful outdoor wedding. And I said to them, you know, we need to take this inside because the rain is two blocks away and it was coming down. And one of the, I forgot who it was I was speaking to, but they said, we can't. Everybody's here. Everybody, everything, the cameras are set up. And I said, but the rain is two blocks away. And I realized they were just listening but not doing anything. So I got the microphone. And I said, just to let you all know, the rain is two blocks away. So let's pray. And I said, Father in heaven, please hold back the rain until the ceremony is done. Now, if you were there, you remember that. The Lord held back the rain when Michael kissed Danielle, tried to swallow her head. <laughs> Caught me by surprise. Somebody took a picture when I saw them kissing. Pastor, they said, you should have seen, you should have seen your face. Because I just remember Danielle as a little girl tumbling through the church. Kind of hard to pronounce her wife, husband and wife. But um, as soon as I pronounced 
You are now, you know, let's meet the new couple. As soon as I did that, it started to drizzle. And I had to say, thank you, Lord, for holding up the rain until the ceremony is done. You were there? Amen? So here's the key. We thank God before the blessing came, and God held the rain back. He said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to get this wedding done. And when the wedding was done, the showers of blessing came. <laughs> As a matter of fact, somebody sent a picture of me with my mouth wide open when I saw Danielle and Michael kiss. I thought, oh, man, I tell you, that was an eye-opening day. But we praise God for his blessing. Praise the Lord before the blessing comes. The other reason why is God will always provide our need. But the second reason to keep praising God is God always exceeds our requests. Always exceeds our request. We ask for this, God does this. We ask for this, God does that. He always exceeds our request. I know that for two reasons, by experience and by his word. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, notice what he says. God always exceeds our blessings. He always exceeds our needs. He says, now to him who is able to do, what is the next word? Exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. God's blessings always exceeds our prayers. If you had not had that experience, your faith is not strong enough. You're not waiting on God. Because some people say, when God does this, then I'll do that. And God has said, no, when you do that, I'll do that. Some people will never allow the opportunities of life to become a reality because they're standing waiting for God to part the waters, but he's waiting for them to put their foot in the waters. And God can move oceans and rivers and mountains if you only trust him. God's blessings always exceed our needs. God always answers exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. I know that to be the case. You know what I was talking about. My wife and I, some of you are new. You didn't hear the story, so it fits right here. When we had, oh, it's been about 2005. The date is exactly correct. 2005, before we came here from St. Louis, we lived in, uh, in uh, West St. Louis in an area called Wildwood. And one evening after a youth congress that was held at our church, hundreds of young people. And I made the statement. I said, at the... St. Louis Central Church, I said, as you go home tonight, be careful because this has been such a spiritual weekend, the devil will do whatever he can to mess up our weekend. And um, what happened was, as we're entering the highway in our Toyota 4Runner, as we're entering the highway, we hit a slick patch going in this direction, but our vehicle went in that direction, completely opposite to the slide. Now, according to inertia, if you're going this way, your vehicle should slide that way. But we're going this way, and our vehicle is sliding that way. It is as, it is as though someone pushed our vehicle, and we began rolling down a mountain about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning, right there in St. Louis. Angie was in the passenger seat, our two nieces in the back, our mother-in-law in the back, 
and we just heard screaming and the, and the glass began to bust out and just stuff flying everywhere, glass everywhere, and the vehicle came to a stop on its side and thank God we all had our seatbelts except for one of our nieces. She was the smallest one. But the day before, showing how God works, I remember that Friday as we lived in, in a place called Wildwood out uh, uh, Cottonwood Lane in West St. Louis. The Lord impressed me to clean the truck out. Not just to clean it out, but to detail it. I took the seats out, Bob. I unscrewed all the seats. There was nothing in the car from the dashboard to the back. I vacuumed out everything. I found stuff that I hadn't seen for years. You know how that goes. Pennies and quarters stuck in, in holes. When I put that car back together, it looked like it just came out of the showroom. Little did we know that we were going to have an accident the very next day. If I didn't move to the prompting of the Lord, I had tools in the back, books in the back, bottles in the back. All that would have been flying around the vehicle, cutting us up, lacerating us. So God prompts us and moves us if we are tuned to his voice. But I'm going to talk about the blessing. Because I said God's blessings always exceeds our greatest needs. Fast forward now. It's a Sunday morning. And my wife and I, are, uh, we went to the car dealership in Marion. You know, they don't sell cars on Sunday. And that's the best time to go because the salespersons don't irritate you. They're at home. So we went to the car dealership and we were looking around. We were driving out here and we got stuck. We were living on Angel Lane at the time. And we got stuck in a couple of snowstorms and there are times guys from 3ABN had to come and get us out of the snow we were stuck in on Angel Lane. And Angie said to me, this is a nice truck, she said. Come over here, John. She said, put your hand on top of mine. We're going to pray. We're going to claim this in Jesus' name. Don't try this unless you have a connection with God. So she, I put my hand on top of hers, and here was her prayer. Father, we're praying and asking for this in Jesus' name. I don't know how you're going to do it, but give it to us before General Conference Session 2005, which was just about four months away or three months away. I went to the General Conference with Pastor Bachelor, like doing meetings in California, and as I came out on the stage to welcome the on-air audience, after the meeting, a lady came up to me and she said, when you stood on the audience, when you came out on the stage today, the Lord whispered to me, you see that young man? He's my servant. I want you to bless him. To make a long story short, three days later, as I was talking to my wife on the phone, she wasn't there yet, I said, this lady just called me and asked me to meet her at the Nissan dealer. Now, I'm from New York. I'm naturally suspicious. Because I don't believe in there's something for nothing. So I go to the Nissan dealer, and she comes there. Her secretary drives her there, and they tell me to sit in the showroom as she goes into the office and talks to the manager. And when, when they opened the door, they invited me to come into the office, and she went like this with the car key. She said, here, God told me to do this. The very vehicle that my wife prayed over less than three, three weeks earlier was the very vehicle that God moved on this lady's heart to give to us. And she said, we'll pay the, we'll pay the, the, the monthly note, 
We'll pay for the registration, and we'll pay your insurance. Just use it for God's service. You will never, rem- you will never imagine what her name is. She says, if I never see you again, you don't owe me anything. Her name was Faith. That was her first name, Faith. And we never saw her again. And to this very day, my wife still has her funeral program in her bulletin. Faith Joyner. We never met her again. We never saw her again. And I remember it was a 3ABN camp meeting when we got the news that she had passed away. She, she kept her promise. Paid the payments, the insurance, and registration. She said, just put gas in it. God told me to do this. You don't owe me a thing. Can God answer your prayers better than you can pray it? If I did a sermon just on God's blessings, I can preach for an entire week. On just the way that God has blessed my wife and me. Did he bless us because we're righteous? No. Because we believe that God's word is true. God's blessings always exceed our greatest needs. Praise God for that. Can you say amen? That's because of Jesus. Now let's look at Daniel. Let's look at Daniel. Daniel is another one. The one that we find in Jesus is Jesus provided the need before the blessing came. Jesus thanked his father before the blessing came. If we begin to think, thank God before the blessing comes, then the blessing will come far greater than we can ever imagine. Why did Daniel thank God? The context was Daniel is now in the Medo-Persian Empire. He's a faithful governor in the Medo-Persian Empire. But Daniel has a practice in his life. He prays three times a day. And many of those in the administration of the Medo-Persian Empire didn't like Daniel at all. They didn't like the idea that this slave transferred from the Babylonian Empire into the Medo-Persian Empire has now risen to notoriety and King Darius really likes Daniel. But because he's an because he's an Israelite, a Hebrew slave, they don't take well to him being in such high ranks in the kingdom of Medo-Persia. So they hoodwinked the king into passing a law. They couldn't find any fault in his life. So they examined his life, and the worst thing they found about Daniel was he likes to pray. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Come on, somebody. Wouldn't that be nice if people dug up all of our junk and the worst thing they could find is he likes to pray. But you know that ain't the truth. Y'all are glad that only God and y'all really know what's true about you. Come on, say amen. They try to trap Dan. The worst thing that, we, that he does is praise. So they put an edict together that nobody should pray to any God or any man for 30 days. And they tricked Darius into signing this edict. And they announced it throughout the province of the Medo-Persian Empire. From this day, 30 more days, nobody is going to be praying in the province of the Medo-Persian Empire. What did Daniel do? Daniel 6, verse 10. I love this. The lessons are amazing. Now, when Daniel knew, Daniel 6, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what are the first thing he did? He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, 
The next three words, he went down. He went home, he went down on his knees. How many times? Three times a day. And prayed and did what? Gave thanks before his God. Why? As his custom since early days. And I want you to grab this. The first lesson I found in the life of Daniel is never allow your adversity to compromise your allegiance to God. It was his custom. What you do when you are young will carry itself through when you get older. It was his custom. Never allow your adversity to compromise your allegiance to God. Daniel said, I saw what the sign says, but I'm going home to pray. He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He could have closed his window and said, well, I don't want anybody to see me praying. But they knew where they could find Daniel praying. Wouldn't it be nice if our lives are so in tune with God that people say, 2 o'clock today, Yvonne's going to be praying. See, there she is praying right now. 6 o'clock, Yvonne's going to be praying. See, there she is praying right now. It would be so beautiful for establish such a cadence with our God that adversity could never break that. Daniel went home, went in his upper room, opened his windows. Do you think that Daniel didn't know that they were watching him? He knew. But you know who else was watching him? God. They were watching him. God was watching them. So Daniel knelt down and prayed. And why did he do that? Because that was the custom in his life. That's why when the Hebrews went into Babylon, the reason why they did not bow to the idols, the reason why they did not bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up is because they knew from young, thou shalt have no other gods before me. When you establish practices in your life on a consistent basis, adversity cannot compromise your allegiance to God. It was his custom. It was his custom. And when they took out their telescopes and their binoculars and they looked across the court, the Bible says in verse 11 of Daniel 6, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you caught it the last time. When they were watching Daniel, God was watching them. He was taking names because God knew what their plans were because, see, the, 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 the impact to the crime of violating what the king had signed was you'll be cast alive into the lion's den. So God is saying, now they want to put Daniel in the lion's den. But I'm going to get the name of all those that assemble because they are going to end up in the lion's den. God will, God will not only defend you, but he'll defend you against those who intend to do you harm. If you allow your allegiance to God to not be compromised in moments of adversity, God will stay on your side. Twice it says, giving thanks before his God, making supplication before his God. But if we don't maintain allegiance to God in times of prosperity, we won't declare allegiance to God in times of adversity. Thank God before the trials come. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Allegiance to God in times of peace will carry us through in times of adversity. 
Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. They put Daniel in the lion's den, and Darius, when he figured out what they had done to trap his good friend Daniel, notice when he came the next morning to the tomb or to the dungeon where Daniel was, to the hole on the ground, and he lifted the cover, expecting to see his remains. Notice the words the king uttered. Daniel 6 and verse 16. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, watch this, watch it. Your God, whom you serve, how friends, continually he might deliver you. Oh, did I not see that word? He could deliver you. Okay. He might think about it. What's the next word said together? He will deliver you. It is so good to know that people can see the patterns of our lives and say, because you're connected with God, he will answer your prayer. He will change your circumstances. He will turn things around. He will deliver you. Amen. Amen. The God whom you serve, he will deliver you. And the next morning when he came out, he said, Daniel, did the God whom you serve continually deliver you? And Daniel said, O king, live forever. This was the best night's sleep I had. No one knows what it's like to be on a lion posturepedic mattress. <laughs> Sleeping to the purring of a... And just in case you didn't think they were hungry, all those men that were watching Daniel was on the menu. So God said to the lions, I appreciate the fact that you didn't eat Daniel because I didn't put him on your menu. But here are a few other items <laughs> that are on your menu. Would you like them with or without sauce? And the Bible says that before those men that framed him even hit the ground, the lions crushed them. I don't glory in the crushing of them. I glory in the allegiance of Daniel to God. You see, I would rather be in a lion's den with God than be in a palace without him. And Daniel knew that in the lion's den with God is better than in a palace without him. Who we are in times of ease reveals who we will be in times of stress. Daniel did not begin to thank God on Medo-Persia. He never stopped thanking God in Medo-Persia. Let's go to the third one. As we go to the third one, and I believe that, yeah, the third one is Jonah. We got a lot to say about Jonah, but as we transition from Daniel let me just say this, as we transition from Daniel, these are words of wisdom, pay attention to your habits. Repeat that with me, pay attention to your habits. Daniel had a habit of praying, pay attention to your habits. Your habits will become your calling card in times of adversity. It'll carry you through. If you establish godly habits, they will be there for you in times of testing. Pay attention to your habits, the tests are on the way. Now let's consider Jonah, the most reluctant prophet in the Bible, who was rebuked for his disobedience. He ran in the opposite direction that God was leading him in. And 
Difficulty, I'm summarizing the story, and difficulty came to everybody on the ship because of Jonah's disobedience. Jonah went down to Tarshish, paid the fear, went down into the ship, and then he went to sleep into the lower parts of the ship. When your life is going down, it's an indication that you are living a life of disobedience. Your life never goes up in times of disobedience. It always goes down. And when the mariners were trying to figure out what is happening to them, Jonah said to them, if you simply throw me into the ocean, you'll find peace. So they tried their best to save Jonah. They tried to empty the wares and lighten the ship, but they realized that throwing Jonah in the ocean was not an option but a mandatory suggestion. <laughs> and when they threw him in the ocean, something happened. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Hmm. Wow. This is a more difficult time of thanksgiving because very few of us ever had thanksgiving in the belly of a fish. But if God needs to get you in the belly of a fish to give him thanks, he'll get you in the belly of a fish. You ought to say amen if you know what I'm talking about. The Bible says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Whew. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Look at the next word. What's the very next word? Say it with me. What's that next word? Why does God have to bring us into difficulty for us to pray? It says, the word then means as a result of his circumstances, he decided to do what he should have done before. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. You will pray from the most unusual places in life if that's what God knows it's going to take to activate your prayer life. Some people pray for the first time when they get arrested. Right? Right? Some people in the backseat of a police car. Lord, I, I, I'm going to tell you. I, I, yeah. They pray from the backseat of a police car. Some people pray from the back of an ambulance. God will allow whatever he needs to allow to activate your prayer life. When Jonah was at the lowest point of his life, the question is, what did Jonah do? Look at verse 9. He didn't just pray, but Jonah had a prayer meeting in the belly of a fish. The Bible said, this is what Jonah declared in Jonah 2 and verse 9. He's pouring his heart out now, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of what? Thanksgiving. And then he finally got to the place where he stopped fighting against God. He says, I will pay what I have vowed because salvation is to the Lord. Some people make vows, but they don't follow through on it. Some people say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be a witness for you. I'm going to give my life to you completely. And then something happens. Circumstances come in and they change their direction. If that ever happens to you, brethren, don't go near the ocean. Because God's got a fish with your name on it. Right, David? Not messing, not picking on you, but he knows what it's like to be in the fish's belly. If God need to get you in a fish belly... What a place to have prayer meeting. What a place to spend Thanksgiving. You are not eating the meal. The meal is eating you in the belly of a fish. Sometimes the lesson I learned from Jonah, sometimes God appoints adversity to train us to thank him. 
I've been to places where people, I remember I was in the hospital visiting two young men that played basketball with, basketball with us. One of them we know very well, I won't mention his name, went to visit him in St. Louis, he and his brother sitting in the same room side by side. Uh, we were playing basketball once and he kept hitting me and pushing me and fighting with me and it got so irritating and I sat down, Jason knew who I'm talking about, and um, I sat down, I said, you know, I, I'm going to sit down, I'm not going to play because I don't want the newspaper to read, Pastor knocks out somebody in his own gym. <laughs> it was just too much. I was starting to feel like I'm going back to Brooklyn emotionally. So I said, let me just sit down, I don't want to. So I got up and then he saw I was visibly upset. When I got back in the game, he did the opposite thing. Then he started complimenting me to the point I got sick of it. I said, would you stop it already? On his way home, they got hit by a truck, a 12,000-pound truck, almost head on. The car was so mangled, I couldn't even tell where the front and the back was, except I saw a tire. And when I walked into the hospital, the first thing our friend said, he said, oh, Lord, I know I'm in here because of what I did to you. <laughs> I know I'm in here. because He said, why didn't you tell me you had that kind of connection with God before I started messing with you? Sometimes God brings adversity to train us how to thank him. So all the time, after that time, we, everywhere we're driving, he would tell people, don't mess with him because you got a connection with God. I found out the hard way. And we played basketball, and he was the nicest guy on the basketball court from that point on because God showed him. When you have a connection with God, thank you, Lord. God didn't kill him, but God said, don't be touching my servant. Praise you, Lord. I don't even have the worthiness to even use that title. But God sometimes rebuke us. As Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. God is whipping you. God is saying, come on now. This doesn't need to be. It's because of your disobedience that you're in a belly of a fish. And how did the story end? This is an amazing end. When Jonah accepted God's rebuke, God reversed his adversity. How did God do that? Look at Jonah 2 and verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The, the fish didn't like the Thanksgiving dinner. And he spit him out on the shores of Nineveh. And Jonah showed up at his evangelistic series smelling like seaweed. Clearing off all that moss, all the all the enzymes from the belly of a fish. The only good thing about this story is, and you bear with me because my mind is crazy at times, I would rather leave through the fish's mouth than through the other way. He could have gone out either way. Am I right? God said, no, I'm going to give you grace today. You're not going out that way. You're going out that way. Come on, help me out, somebody. God's grace sometimes creates an exit for us that we don't deserve. Because God could have sent him out another way. Thank the Lord. The Lord said to this fish, spit him out. Don't pass him out. 
That's not in my sermon, by the way. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficulty because we fail to thank God, but it's in our difficulty we learn to thank God. If God can use a smelly fish to get you to, to your destination and activate in your life a reason to thank him, God will do it. Let's look at our last example. Our last example. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. You see, why did God do what he did to Jonah? Here's why he did it. Hebrews 12 and verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God sometimes will use the most adverse circumstances to train us, to bring peace to our lives, to show us that we didn't have to go through this experience, but God ordained it to make us stronger after the experience has passed. The peaceable fruit of righteousness after the painful chastisement. If you allow yourself to go through it, you will have that peaceable fruit of righteousness. Let's look at our last example. Go to Acts chapter 27. And we're going to look at two verses before I close. The Apostle Paul, what did he do? He was taken as a prisoner. He appealed to the Roman governor. He was on his way to Rome to ask for his freedom. And something changed in his life. We find this in Acts chapter 27, verses 33 to 35. They had set sail... And in the middle of their journey from one city to another, from one island to another, from one coast to another, the winds were blowing, blowing softly, but Paul had warned them that things are about to change. And that's what happens in life. Things often change. And when the storms began to lash, lash the ship and they looked like they were going to lose their lives, even the apostle Paul himself began to lose heart. But then God visited him. And God told him, these men are so terrified they won't even eat. They've lost all their desire to even eat food. But Paul had to be an example to them. And notice what he did. Acts chapter 27, verse 33. And as the day was about to dawn, because they spent all night in a terrific storm, Paul implored them all to do what? Take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. That's a bad storm. Fourteen days, no food, no desire to eat. Verse 34, therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Let me say something to the baptismal, those who got baptized today. Take nourishment, this is for your survival. Storms are going to come. Take nourishment, this is for your survival. Now let me say to those who have been members for a long time, Take nourishment. This is for your survival. Because the storms are going to come. And they'll shake the core of your life. In the midst of your storms, take nourishment. For this is for your survival. Since not a hair will fall from the heads of any of you, God only can sustain us in the intense storms of our lives. But look at what he did. In verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and what did he do? Gave thanks. He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. 
And when he had broken it, he began to eat. This is significant. He didn't just give thanks by himself. He gave thanks in the presence of all of those who were discouraged. When, we, when people see us thanking God in our storms, they'll thank God in their storms. When people see us being willing to eat of God's word in the midst of our difficulty, they'll follow our example and eat of the word of God in the midst of their difficulty. Why did he thank God in their presence? Because Paul showed them that even in the storms of life, Ramona, we can thank God in the storm. As the group Casting Crown says, I want to praise him in the storm. We need to learn to thank God in the good times, in the bad times. In the moments when there's not enough, praise him before the blessing comes. In the moments when we feel that our lives can end up in a dungeon, praise him in the difficult moments of life. When we feel that we are experiencing things that have shaken our core and we are disobedient, running away from God, thank him even when he rebukes you. And finally, when the storms of life batter you, thank him in the storms. Can the church say amen? Why is it important to thank God in every situation? The Apostle Paul says it best. Let's read this together. And I want to invite Sister Hunt to come to the piano. We have changed our closing song. When I heard you play Give Thanks, I knew that's what God wanted us to end by singing. When we do what God has shown us we should do, God turns our circumstances around. We need to learn how to thank God in the storms. He allows those storms to come. We affect those around us not by who we are in times of peace, but by who we are, Tracy, in times of our storms. Who are you in the time of your storm? Are you giving thanks to God when the winds are blowing? When the food seems short? When you don't feel like going in the direction that this God has told you to go in? When it feels like you're going to end up in the den of discouragement? Do you still give God thanks? Learn from Jesus. Think and before the blessing comes. Learn from Daniel. Even if it means ending up in difficulty, God is the Lord over every difficulty. If it means that your life is not going where it should be going and you smell a fish nearby, thank God anyhow. <laughs> and finally, when the storms of life begin to batter you and you can't see the sun for 14 days, stand up and begin to break bread in the presence of all those who are discouraged. And I can imagine on that ship, they probably started singing, give thanks with a grateful heart. The Apostle Paul had the right and the license and the experience to say these words. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Let's read what he said. He had enough experiences to write this. He said he was in prison, he was whipped, he was lied to, he was tortured, he, was, he went through all kinds of stuff. And then he said, let's say it together, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I, begin with the, I end with the scripture I began with. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Why did Paul say that? Because he's been through everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. William Arthur Ward wrote these words. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to say it so you can hear it. He says, Gratitude can transform common days into thanksgiving, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. Gratitude can transform common days into thanksgiving, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. God has given us today 86,400 seconds. Jason, use some of them to simply say thanks. Thanksgiving will minimize the stress and maximize the success. Thanksgiving will eliminate pouting and establish praising. Thanksgiving will turn our sunsets into our sunrises and will use adversity to our advantage. And through all of that, we will learn to give thanks with a grateful heart. Can we stand and sing that together? Reasons to be cheerful when you don't have enough, when you're facing adversities of life, and you may end up in the difficulty that you have not orchestrated, when you seem to be disobedient, and when the storms of life come, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. Let's sing this. Give thanks with grace. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning. Life has brought to us a table of challenges. There are times we don't have enough. Father, teach us to thank you before the blessings come. There are moments in our lives when our obedience leads us into challenging circumstances. Father, train us to praise you in the moments of adversity.
And when we live lives of disobedience and we're going away from the will of God, Father, help us to praise you. In our dark moments, when you are churning our lives around, not turning, but churning our lives around to lead us to accomplish your will, help us to praise you in the lowest places of our lives. And when the storms come and batter our faith, either through illness or disease or suffering or hardship, whether financial or physical or spiritual, Father, help us to praise you in the storm and give thanks to you. And you've told us when we learn to do that, the peace of God which passes all understanding that doesn't need to be explained, will find a Jonah praising God, a Daniel praising God, finding the Apostle Paul in chains praising God, and we will find Jesus praising God. May we be a life of praise. May you receive glory through us. And on this day, May we go forth from this place praising you and thanking you for the blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.